Alright, let's get this party going. Hello, all you listeners out there. This is James O'Hara, and this is Politics Today. Uh, so, on my podcast, I like to go over different issues that are happening, of course, in politics. If you've listened to a couple of them, you know I've talked about uh, the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. I've talked about the state's response to it. I've talked about Black Lives Matter and the social movements that are happening um, recently and emerging. Um, and of course, I talk about President Trump and I talk about Joe Biden and the political discourse that's going on in the country. So one of the things I want to dedicate this episode to was talking about something that's being pushed through Congress or it's on its way to Congress right now called the Breathe Act. Uh, some of you may have heard of the Breathe Act if you've been following uh, politics recently and what's been going on. Um, but I want to delve into it today and go over kind of each part of it, because it hasn't gotten a lot of publicity necessarily in the media, not a lot of coverage about what is in this bill uh, in itself. Um, So I wanted to kind of go in and address it because it ties in deeper into a lot of stuff that's going on right now with the social movements that are happening. So uh, things like Black Lives Matter, um, and what they are, what their organization stands for, and what they're trying to push, um, and even what the Joe Biden campaign is also pushing, um, and his newest um, stuff that's come out, uh, you can see there's a definite connection between the two. Um, and so the Breathe Act is a bill that's being sponsored and pushed forward by Representative Ayanna Presley um, and Rashida Talib, uh, who are two of the more left-leaning uh, congresswomen um, that we have. They're part of what's known as the squad, if you've been following that, um, which is a group of uh, congresswomen who um, are definitely on the more liberal side of things, um, led kind of by their de facto leader, with his, which is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Um, and so she has kind of the leader of this movement, but they are the ones that are sponsoring this bill. Um, and pushing it forward through Congress. So what is Breathe Act? Well, it's a, a project that was put together by this organization known as the Movement for Black Lives. So not Black Lives Matter, but the Movement for Black Lives. Separate organization, they're a 501c4, um, and the, according to our website, therefore, the, the Electoral Justice Project. So um, that is the Movement for Black Lives. Basically, an organization, kind of a derivative under this umbrella um, of Black Lives Matter. If you follow the Black Lives Matter organization, um, there are multiple um, organizations within and under the umbrella of Black Lives Matter, which contribute to its movement. So it has a, a lot of different facets to the organization. Black Lives Matter, of course, is well known for the defund the police movement. Um, there's an organization underneath the Black Lives Matter umbrella called Eight Can Wait, which is eight different things that they want to see police departments immediately uh, do, uh, which I've posted on Facebook about before because uh, those eight things most police departments already do. So uh, the Eight Can Wait thing's kind of irrelevant, but they're under the Black Lives Matter umbrella, and so is this movement for black lives, uh, along with um, Palestinian movement organizations and anti-Israeli organizations as well. So there's a couple organizations that fall under Black Lives Matter kind of umbrella, and Black Lives Matter kind of leading organization behind it. And if you listen to my last podcast, we went into kind of why they're the leader of these organizations, and it's because of the name and the motto and and the things that go along with it, right? I've, I've said before, you need to separate the motto 
of or the slogan of Black Lives Matter from the organization Black Lives Matter. They are two separate things and should be thought of separately and not the same. So um, anyways, I digress. Let me get back into the Breathe Act. So I wanted to spend pretty much a whole podcast on, on just this. I, I know there's a lot of other things to talk about, which we can, I'll get to later. But um, this one I felt important because it's on its way through Congress. It's, it's getting drafted to be put into Congress. And there's a outline, a really great outline on the Movement for Black Lives website where you can actually go there and download it and read all those things for yourself. Um, but I figured I'd go through it all together for you. So you can just listen to me if you want. Um, so we'll go through that. But there's, uh, it, it's relevant right now because Joe Biden's campaign recently, uh, just this week, released kind of his updated plan for what he would do if he's elected. And if you read his plan, he's gone far to the left from where uh, Joe Biden normally would be. Um, some people have said he must have an epiphany in the last month because he's taking on positions that he actually fought against in the debates um, with his fellow uh, Democrat uh, um, presidential candidates, I should say, the ones who uh, didn't make it. He fought against uh, a lot of these positions in those debates and in his previous comments that he had spoken out against. So it's kind of strange for him to adopt these things, but it's not strange if you look in the the bigger picture, which we're going to get to at the end of this. So um, let's start with the Breathe Act. That's what this is about. So the Breathe Act is separated into four different sections. Um, the first section, divesting federal resources from incarceration and policing and ending the criminal legal system harms. Uh, so that's about the legal system, about policing. Section two is about investing into new approaches and the community safety utilizing fund incentives. I'll, I'll get into some of that, but I won't a lot of it is just spending money on community programs and stuff, but we'll, I'll, I'll touch on some things. Section three is about allocating new money to build healthy, sustainable, and equitable communities for all people. Section four, holding officials accountable and enhancing self-determination of black communities. So those that's the basic sections of this thing, um, of this bill. And I will start with this. As we get into this, I read through this, and I do agree with some of the Viewpoints. I like to look at things with an open mind um, and see what people have to say. And if it, if it makes sense, I can agree with it. And I, I would push for those things that I would agree with. So uh, I will begin with this. this isn't all bad, but it is like 97.6% bad um, if you read it. So the, we'll get into the things I actually do agree with. There's probably about three, I think, in this entire build of, of things I would actually uh, agree with, and I think I've actually been pushed forward by um, Republican administrations in the past and more libertarian-leaning folks, of course, in the past as well. So let's get into the first section. Um, divesting federal resources from incarceration, policing, and ending the criminal legal system harms. So what would the bill do? Well, according to them, it's going to eliminate federal programs and agencies that are used to finance and expand the U.S. criminal legal system. Um, so what are those programs? They list a couple. The Department of Defense, 1033 program. The Edward Brin Justice Assistance Grant. That's from the Bureau of Justice um, Assistance. Um, Community-oriented policing services. The Drug Enforcement Agency. Uh, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency. Um, and the bill would ensure non-punitive, non-carceral elements of these programs are identified so they can be transferred to other funding sources. Non-carceral means something that wouldn't involve going to jail for, basically. 
Um, and of course, punitive means getting punished. So um, let's go through some of these things. They want to directly make changes to the federal criminal legal system. So including changes to policing, prosecution, sentencing, jailing practices. Now, I'll be honest, in this section is where my agreements are. They're not in any other section. <laughs> and I'll show you which ones I agree with. But uh, this thing, uh, it, it breaks into all these different things they want to do. So the first one's eliminating surveillance tactics that are disproportionately used to target black, brown, and Muslim communities by prohibiting predictive policing, facial recognition te technologies, drones, and similar tools. Uh, as a libertarian-leaning person, I definitely am not for all the facial recognitions going on. Um, so I could see where this could be uh, a, a point that I might be able to agree on. Um, I'm not sure where the black and brown and Muslim communities play into that. I would think all communities should be protected from uh, you know things that violate their Fourth Amendment right. Um, but I digress. Uh, the next thing is eliminating the use of electronic monitoring, including ankle monitors, smartphone applications, uh, and other tools used to track location. So eliminating ankle monitors. Now, I found this an interesting point. Uh, one, wouldn't you want to monitor people that are being released from jail um, or serving a sentence? And two, if your organization is so against incarceration, especially of African-American people, wouldn't an ankle monitor being a way of preventing incarceration of those people? Um, so I found that interesting. I definitely don't support getting rid of ankle monitors. I think they serve a valid purpose. Um, ending civil asset forfeiture, something I agree on. This is one of those points I do agree. I don't believe in civil asset forfeiture. That's when the, the police are able to take your stuff, basically. Um, don't agree with that. So uh, I definitely, boom, we got one agreement there. Uh, abolishing mandatory minimum sentencing laws. I agree with that one, too. Uh, big supporter of that. I don't think you should have mandatory minimum sentences. I believe a judge should be able to decide what your sentencing would be. I believe it's why we have judges in the first place. And this would prevent people from getting put in prison for something just because the law said to have a mandatory minimum. But maybe perhaps there were some uh, you know, things that go, went on in this case that would justify not doing that. So I get that one. Mandatory minimum sentence laws. Get rid of those. Cool. Ending life sentences. Oh, ooh. Uh, no, I think life sentences serve a purpose uh, for things like murder and stuff like that. Life sentence is good. Um, abolishing the three strikes law. Uh, getting rid of three strikes, you're out. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't pick that to be my hill to go die on, but um, I could see where that would come from. Developing a time-bound plan to close all federal prisons and immigration detention centers. This is where it starts to get juicy. <laughs> so we are going to close all federal prisons and immigration detention centers with this bill. That sounds like a horrible idea. Um, repealing federal laws that criminalize human movement and border entry. So that's open borders for those of you who don't know. Uh, that means there is no border anymore. You can just come across the border whenever you want. Um, there's no legal or illegal immigration. Um, human movement, meaning people coming over the border, are just allowed to come over the border. And that will no longer be against the law. There won't be any laws on that, basically. Um, further repealing and replacing the 1994 Violent Crime Control and Law Enforcement Act. Uh, that is the known as the crime bill, the 94 crime bill that was passed during the Clinton administration. And that was one that Joe Biden actually authored, um, which would 
pretty interesting, uh, and I do support that. But uh, a lot of steps already have been done to repeal that. Um, I encourage more steps, so I do agree with this one. But uh, the Trump administration actually is the first administration ever to take steps to actually reform and change the 1994 Violent Crime Control and Police and Law Enforcement Act. And that's what they did with the First Step Act, which is something the president has pushed for Congress to do and passed and signed. So um, that's an agreement they have with President Trump, um, surprisingly enough. So, And then, of course, de- decriminalizing retroactively actively expunging drug offenses. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with that, but I do think there could be some space gained on drug offenses and what is a drug offense and what the offense should be. So... Not a killer, but getting rid of federal funding for any kind of prisons or getting, eliminating federal prisons, eliminating borders, uh, eliminating ICE, um, cutting the Department of Defense. Those things, I think, are just absolute insanity, and I would never support them. Now, moving on to Section 2, investing in new approaches to community safety, utilizing funding incentives. Now, I want to take a, a breath from the Breathe Act right here just to point something out. Funding incentives. Every time you see that word funding incentive, what funding incentive means is spending money from the federal government. That's what it means. So in the reading of this bill through section two and section three, there's a lot of funding incentives that are going to come up. And every time you hear incentive and hear from word funding, it means the government is spending money on these programs. So uh, the only way we can solve these problems is the government spends money and gives more money to these programs. Now, I, as a conservative and a fiscal conservative, would like to reduce government spending as much as possible. In my previous podcast, you know I support it in certain avenues, but uh, limited when it's needed and and limited as much as possible. So um, in Section 2, they get into all this funding. So they want to create federal grant programs um, that de- that incentivize decarceration, which is the getting out of uh, not putting people in prison, subsidizing non-punitive community-led approaches to public safety. So they want to make grants to these jurisdictions to defund and eliminate their uh, their jails and their police forces. Right, this is where the defund the police it says defund their police forces. They want to offer fifty percent federal match for projected savings when states and local jurisdictions close these facilities. So the idea behind this is. The federal government has the power to close federal jails, but it, it can't close state prisons. Those are run by the state. So this would incentivize the state governments to do that by basically saying, hey, you get rid of this and the government will give you money. And if you defund your police, we'll give you incentives so that you can defund your police and start community programs. Um, banning pretextual stops and consent searches. There's actually a lot of stuff that's been going on with this, but um, as someone who is very close to the police community and talking to them. Um, pretextual stops lead to uh, a lot of things. What that is when you get pulled over for something and then it's a pretext to search the vehicle or something like that. Um, that's how a lot of drug offenses and things are found in vehicle searches. So um, people who are breaking the law don't like pretextual stops and consent searches because they're breaking the law. Um, but I can see where maybe consent searches, Fourth Amendment, your right to say no without getting in trouble. I can see where this come from. And, it, and, and there are have been studies that show that it does um, disproportionately affect African-Americans and minorities when they're stopped in these pretextual uh, stops. But they're actually, the Cato Institute did a study on this, and the statistics are actually very minimal differences. But there is a difference. So I can see where that comes from. Um, removing police armed security 
metal detectors, and other surveillance equipment from schools and government offices that provide social services. Now, this one hit me really close. Because I remember a time not too long ago um, where we were all clamoring as Americans to have police in schools because we were worried about school shootings and we wanted to make sure that our students were safe and that our children didn't get killed while at school. And we were asking for more stuff to be done in this avenue than what was being done previously. Well, this bill would get rid of that. No more SROs. The school resource officers are gone. No police in schools. All those things that we did to try to address things like that, that's out the window now. So I guess school shootings will never happen again because the Breathe Act will fix all the problems. So we don't need that anymore. So that's, again, living in a fantasy world, not in reality, and it's completely disregarding the last 20 years or so of research and things that have been put and legislation that's been pushed forward, even by the Obama administration, into trying to solve these problems. Abolishing, the next thing on the list is abolishing state gang databases. Um, yeah, I mean, why would we need to monitor who's in gangs and being arrested for gang activity? Because gangs don't do anything violent ever, so we should never have to worry about that ever happening. That's crazy as well. We have a database for a reason, to keep track of people who may be affiliated and be gang members. Um, I think that's pretty important. Don't want to eliminate that. Um, eliminating all fees and surcharges of criminal legal system. Um, including court debt that's talking about reducing and basically making it where if you get in trouble and you go to court, you don't have to pay any money um, for fees and court fees and things like that. There's a lot of issues around that with courts charging people because they make money off of that system, but it is very expensive for for courts to uh, operate. So there is a need, you know, there is a, there is this, there is truth to the idea that if you have to pay money out of your pocket for something, you don't seem to do it again and again and again because you don't want to keep paying money. There is a deterrent factor there with having to pay things. And, and a lot of times people much rather pay things than go to prison or jail for them, especially since this bill is eliminating the prisons and jails. And now it's eliminating paying for any kind of thing. So the deterrent factor in this bill is really starting to disappear um, in, their, in their ideas of decriminalization. Um, decriminalizing, retroactively acti- uh, actively expunging state drug convictions. Um, again, I don't uh, agree on a case by case basis. Maybe uh, that would be good, but but not altogether. Uh, categorically eliminating misdemeanor and pay only probation. That goes right back to you're getting rid of jails, but you're getting rid of other avenues to uh, incentivize the court from not putting you in jail and decentivize people from going and committing crimes. So that makes log- no logical sense at all. Um, until ICE and CBP, which is the Border Patrol, are fully dismantled, ending state and local police entanglements um, with local law enforcement agencies, uh, repealing all existing state juvenile offenses. So, and no juvenile offenses anymore. So, if you have a kid who is under the age of eighteen and does something really bad, nope, no juvenile offenses. So, I guess I we would normally charge all those people as adults, but we can't do that because. We can't put them on probation, and we can't put them in prison, and there's no cops to arrest them because they've been defunded. So this is really starting to get hairy on how you're going to handle someone who does something illegal, and they're under the age of 18 especially. Um, Banning the use of police agencies as tools for political repression, but it doesn't get into what that political repression would be. Oh, and by the way, there are no monetary numbers in this bill. Now, 
this be something that the Congressional Budget Office will go through and actually score the bill and tell us how many trillions of dollars this is all going to cost because, believe me, it's going to get expensive to do all these things. Um, they want to replace your police department, so here's the replacement, right? We said it got hairy. There's problems with this. Now we're going to not have a justice system practically. So what are we going to have instead? They want a transformative justice and healing justice programs, it says. They want violence interruption and intervention, including in domestic violence situations. Now, I do not know who's going to be doing the interrupting if it's not going to be the police, because I don't think you're going to be getting or finding many social workers that are going to want to show up to domestic violence situations where you have an angry person beating or threatening another person with perhaps a weapon using deadly force, but don't worry, the social worker is going to show up and handle it for you. Um, you know, that's why we have police. They are trained to handle these kinds of situations and hopefully solve them and take someone to prison or to jail where they can then be, you know, go through due process. Uh, they want abuse interruption, intervention, and prevention, park redevelopment, streetlights, and other things. And it goes into spending money on different uh, community-based um, stuff that's going to make the community better. So that's the part I kind of skip over a little bit because, I mean, we can go through a grab bag of a list of things to spend money on that mostly should be done by your local governments and not done by the federal government to begin with. Um, allocating, Section 3, allocating new money to build healthy, sustainable, and equitable communities for all people. Now, in Section 3, we get into some interesting things. Um, they want to then move a, a, away from the justice system and into other issues that aren't really relevant to the policing and things like that. I mean, again, they come and talking about getting rid of ICE, getting rid of SROs, getting cops out of schools, defunding all these things, and then spending more money in schools for community-based solutions, but they don't go into specifics of what the community-based solutions are. Um, they say they need to replace them. But then they start getting into things that are different than just police and law enforcement. Um, one of the sections in Section 3 is provides resources for programs and investments that include but are not limited to developing curricula that examine the political, economic, and social impact of colonialism, genocide against indigenous people, and slavery. So they would want to endorse programs that are teaching and putting these into our education system, um, which I believe most books do talk about things like slavery. Um, I wouldn't necessarily label it genocide against indigenous people. I think that's a loaded term. And impacts of colonialism. Um, I Somehow, I don't think that relates to teaching about the American Revolution and our country's founding and throwing off the colonialism of Great Britain. I think that has some other meaning to it. Um, and they're not really getting into the, what they intend that to be. Um, they want to uh, promote innovative programming to better support and foster youth, uh, as well as children of incarcerated parents, so some a social program to help with that. Um, providing free, high-quality health services at schools and or nearby student and family-focused centers with services including reproductive body anatomy. So they are a body autonomy, I'm sorry, so abortion, um, education in schools is what that is. Family-focused centers of, with abortion education. Um, is what they're talking about there. They want to provide full and free access for all people, including those who are undocumented, currently incarcerated, and formerly incarcerated, to a lifetime education. Um, lifetime education, folks, would mean 
primary school, secondary school, college. All free, all paid for by the taxpayer to include anyone who's an undocumented uh, alien who's here illegally, anyone who's in prison and currently incarcerated, anyone who was formerly incarcerated at some point, and basically anyone. So everyone gets a lifetime education paid for by the government. Um, Also, they get free public transportation for all students as well. That's also in the bill as well. Um, And then, of course, modernizing, renovating, repairing facilities used by public schools. Uh, That's something we can all agree on, but usually it's done by your local governments and not by the federal government. So, again, more federal spending on local issues to somehow solve them, but with all these strings attached of things that probably shouldn't be brought up in the first place as something we should be focusing on. So then we get into more things. Uh, We get into public access for safe and clean uh, drinking water uh, and uh, clean water for your house, Uh, creating clear time-bound plan for ensuring that all communities have breathable air, Uh, creating a clear time-bound plan for meeting 100% state power demand using clean, renewable, and zero-emissions energy sources. So we have uh, the Green New Deal showing up in the BREATHE Act. Uh, We're talking about switching over to green energy uh, and paying for it with federal uh, government subsidies to handle this. So uh, it has nothing to do with defunding the police at all. In fact, I wouldn't think that had anything to do with the criminal justice system, but somehow it's in the BREATHE Act and it's thrown in here as well um, on top of um, other things that have nothing to do with solving any actual problems that the bill says it's supposed to solve. Um, We have subsidizing community-owned sustainable energy solutions and projects. Um, We have funding to support and build and preserve and restore cultural assets and sacred sites. Um, And we have climate change money that's being spent um, to solve climate change fuel disasters, such as hurricanes, floods, and wildfires. Um, So that is in the bill as well. Um, And we also have another huge spending program. The expanding of Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act. Um, That is expanded under this bill as well. Eliminating state laws that bar formerly incarcerated people from serving as guardians. Um, It also talks... So we have gone from... As this bill has progressed, we have gone away from the Black Lives Matter mantra of defund the police and justice... Um, system to things that are completely not relevant at all, but are just a grab bag of left liberal thinking ideas um, where the government's going to spend all this money on these things and solve everyone's problems um, by investing in subsidizing things, right? Um, Things like food cooperatives and urban gardens, that's in here. Paid parental sick leave. Um, Comprehensive high-quality child and elder care is in here as well. Um, So you have this massive spending apparatus that's being put forward for all of these uh, programs that are have been being pushed by left-leaning organizations for many, many years. So it, they're hidden in the way end of this bill after you've gotten through all the justice reform and all those things to stuff that's completely just madness um, if you really were going to value this out as, as solving any of the problems it says it's going to solve. Um, so it talks about extending worker protections, establishing a living wage is included in here. Um, all those things put into uh, including uh, including modernizing and expanding the stock of affordable housing. That's included in here. Um, you got quality assisting housing, um, tax relief programs to help individuals who are facing potential displacement. 
um, and gentrification. That's what it's, it's talking about, gentrification and that. Um, and then a bunch of litany of just federal investments into things um, that it talks about. And then you have Section 4, holding officials accountable. Now, in this part, you're thinking, wow, yeah, finally we're going to hold some people accountable for all this. Um, this wants to establish a commission that d- designs reparations for mass criminalization, including the war on drugs, the criminalization of prostitution, and police violence, border violence, and the systemic violence of the U.S. government's treaty obligations to tribal nations. So now we have reparations brought up in this bill as well. We're going to pay people not only reparations. We're not talking about reparations for the African-American community for slavery. You know, that that we're going to educate people on those things. And uh, they do mention H.R. 40, which is the Commission to Study Reparations for African-Americans. So that's brought up in this. But not only just African-Americans who may have been related to former slaves, but we're talking about anyone who's been in the criminal justice system or incarcerated will now um, if, if it was due to drug offenses that were covered under war on drugs, will be owed reparations from the taxpayer because they broke the law. So that, I think, is a non-starter right there. Um, so it goes on and on and on. But before I you know, just bore you completely to death in a 30-minute podcast of all of these things, I did want to go through it kind of line by line, let you know what there, what is in there. Now, that's the last section. It just talks about uh, incentivizing voter turnout and things like that. Now, why is this the bigger picture here? Why is the Breathe Act so important? It sounds like craziness if you have a brain in your head. You're not going to agree with many of these proposals. Um, they just do not seem rational at all. Um, and the bill doesn't simply address something like defunding police. It goes way deeper. The reason why it's so important is because Joe Biden, who's running for president of the United States against Donald Trump, has incorporated many of these ideas into his platform of what he's running on. And he's relying on the input of groups like Black Lives Matter, groups like the Movement for Black Lives, and others to inform him on what his uh, proposal should be and what he should be pushing forward. So the reason why this doesn't sound like Joe Biden of previous eight, uh, years, including eliminating a bill that he actually sponsored back in the 90s, is because it's not really Joe Biden. It's other organizations that are under Joe Biden's wings, so to speak, under his campaign, that are now coming to a head because of the the situation, the moment we are politically, where these Organizations that have been able to get traction and get out there because of the heightened environment we're in when we're talking about racism and things like that. These organizations have gotten a foothold where they are getting listened to. And now they're getting listened to by people in very high parts of our government, including people running for the presidency. So these things are the platform being pushed forward by the Democrat Party. Now, they might not come out and say it outright, each individual one of these things, but they're being incorporated in piecemeal into what this is. And now it's being pushed forward by actual congresspeople who are pushing forward this bill to try to get it passed. And anything can pass Congress right now, if you really think about it. Uh, Nancy Pelosi passed a $3 trillion spending bill to address coronavirus that didn't even address really coronavirus. And it was $3 trillion of just pet programs and spending and payoffs for all these different people, and it didn't do anything. Um, That's the HEROES Act, right? They put a nice name on it. They slap it, label it, market it, 
pass it. $3 trillion would be the most expensive bill ever passed by the United States government in our entire history. It would be insanity to do this. This bill, I would imagine, would come pretty close to the cost as well. So this kind of stuff is what people need to be informed about. Now, you can either agree with everything in the bill you can disagree with. You can vote for Joe Biden or you can vote against him. But you should know what you are voting for and what you're actually taking in as their platform and not just what is spewed out. Now, I can imagine if all these programs were reversed and they were a grab bag of conservative issues um, or or very hardcore Republican right issues like you know banning abortion and things like that, this would be all over the media every day. All you would hear is about how crazy this bill is and how anyone could actually push forward something like this and how this needs to be stopped. And you would hear it nonstop. Now, you haven't heard anything about this bill because no one's come out and really spoke out against it. There's been a few articles talking about what the Breathe Act is and how it, you know, it's an effort to defund police, but no one's gone into it and actually said what's inside this bill and read through it. So I've went through it line by line for you to inform you guys on what it's all about. And now you can take that information for what you want. So I did want to take one of these episodes and just talk about that and break it down for you. Again, do with it what you wish with this information. Feel free to look it up. A Movement for Black Lives is the organization. It's called the Breathe Act. Um, but it's something I think people should stand up, start recognizing what's going on here, and begin to push back against very radical ideas that are going to try to replace this, you, this country, our system, with uh, something else. Now, you know, the squad, the people in the squad, they have said things like, I want to tear down the system and replace it because it's rotten to the root, as Ilan Omar has said. She's part of the squad. She's someone who supports this kind of bill. Do not think that these are all just programs to make people happy and solve problems. They really aren't. They're about tearing down the system and eliminating it, and they don't lead down to anywhere good. So take with it what you wish. Thank you for listening. Uh, this is another episode of Politics Today. Feel free to drop me a message on Facebook when I post these um, or send me an email at politicstodayjro at gmail.com, um, and I can respond to any kind of questions there if you want. Feel free to share this all you want as well um, and get the word out. So have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to Politics Today, and I'll talk to you guys later.